the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 204 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This, as you know, is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie films to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today, I'm delighted to tell you we have on the directors of the fantastic movie Synchronic. The directors are Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. And Synchronic is a mind-altering sci-fi thriller horror, but we're not going to put it in a genre. That you will find out why on this week's episode. Uh, Synchronic is an amazing movie. It stars Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. On the episode, we talk about Aaron and Justin as co-directors because not only were they co-directors, but Aaron was a DLP and Justin uh, wrote the film. They produced the movie together as well. We dive deep into their history, into the films that they made before. The first one they made, Resolution, uh, their second feature, Spring, and their third one, The Endless. Um, We also dip into their fifth movie a little bit as well, which they made in lockdown. Uh, More of that to come. At the moment, uh, they are making Moonlight for Marvel, but we're not allowed to talk about that. Not yet. Not yet. When we get them back on, we'll talk about that uh, in more detail. We also dive into making movies and why you should just do it. We also talk about the fact that you are the cavalry to your own films. Uh, We talk about investment and how you can get it and how the boys got investment for their film on subreddit. That's right. Reddit's subreddit. We also talk about relationships in film and the people around you uh, and having cool Zoom strategies for getting people on board. We also talk about the writing process and how you should prep and shot list a movie and do lots of it. You are going to learn loads from this episode. Aaron and Justin were fantastic and they sat down with myself and Robbie McCain and we had an absolute blast chatting to them. So much info and knowledge and they just gave it all to you for free. So if you do like this, uh, because it is for free, then do jump on iTunes and give us a lovely five-star review. It means the world to us. Uh, Speaking of which, The Dare, uh, my movie, my debut movie, is now on Amazon Prime in the UK. So if you want to watch that, if you haven't watched it yet, or if you want to watch it again, it's now on Amazon Prime. And if you do watch it, uh, do give us a lovely review. It does make a world of difference. Honestly, it helps you go up the charts. And all that malarkey, I'm sure you've heard loads before. And thank you, thank you, all those who have supported and have given some amazing feedback honestly it warms my heart so much that you like the film Uh, you know it's been a labour of love for me to get the dare out there and the amazing team that helped me make it honestly it's an incredible uh, thing to get a movie out there and get it made it really is we all know that so thank you for all that support but I want to touch on this week a little bit about how easy it is to support people when they're doing well and as much as we love that as much as it's great that you're liking my stuff. Honestly, it's wonderful. But what about when we're not doing well? What about those times when we're not making a movie? We're struggling for money. We don't know when we're going to be on set ever again. It's really easy to jump on the Facebooks and the shows. You go, oh my God, that's amazing. You've been signed by so-and-so. Or your film's just been picked up. Or you're making another movie. And we can feel slightly jealous and envious of all that. But it's easy to jump on all that. It's easy to pl- click like. But what we don't often do is support people when they're not doing well. Um, Because when they're down or when they have failed. Because everybody fails in this business. And hopefully we learn and we can pick ourselves up. 
but we do need help. So if you haven't heard from anyone in a while, if someone hasn't been on your socials or hasn't messaged you, send them a message and see how they're doing, especially now during this difficult time, because this is when we, as a collective, as a group, as a tribe, filmmaking podcast tribe should be supportive of each other. So I, I implore you this week to do that. Just send a message to someone you haven't heard from in a while, a filmmaker friend, and just give them a little leg up. It might just make their day, and it could get them out of the slump that they're in, and get out of the rut, and help them get back on the right path. So, that's our task this week, and moving forward into the future. Let's do it. Come on, let's do this. Let's support each other more than we've been doing. Let's do it. Send messages, send emails. Come on. Let's help each other make films. That's our task this week. Talking about supporting, uh, this week's episode is fantastically sponsored by the good people at ScreenCraft. Now, ScreenCraft, as you know, because they have sponsored this show before, specialises in genre-specific screenplay competitions with top industry judges. Um, For example... Uh, the ScreenCraft Comedy Screenplay Competitions just open for TV and film script submissions. So if you have uh, a comedy screenplay right now in TV or film, then get it entered. These guys are brilliant and we highly recommend them. Judges include uh, producers and managers at agencies of the top Hollywood comedy writing talents. Uh, and you can check that out at ScreenCraft.org. Past winners have gone on to sell their scripts to major studios and have been hired by companies like Universal, um, Netflix, Amazon, Millennium, uh, who actually sold the dare, uh, CBS and many more. Screencraft winners are also highly sought after by literary managers and agents. So get on it now, screencraft.org. Link is in the show notes. Huge shout out uh, to Sam Harry Evans, who has edited this week's episode. Thank you, Sam, and welcome. To the team. So, with that in mind, and the amazing stuff you're going to learn on this week's episode with Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, let's get to it. Uh, I can't wait for you lot to hear this one. Thank you so much for your support on last week's episode with the host's team. Wow, wasn't that ace? This is just as good to so sit down, relax, and enjoy myself, Giles Alderson, Robbie McCain is my co host, and the fantastic Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson talking about all their films, but mainly Synchronic which is out now, by the way, through Signature Entertainment. Thank you. So do go support and watch it. It's brilliant. Enjoy this week's Filmmakers Podcast. Hey, hey. 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 How are we doing? All right. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, good. It's lovely to meet you guys. Yeah, this is a joy. Hey, Robbie, how are you, buddy? Yeah, not too bad, Joss. Robbie McCain is our producer and uh, host with me. How's it going, guys? Thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, it's a pleasure. The Synchronic is brilliant. I mean, I was blown away by how good it was. I get we get a lot of screeners. We we do this a lot, and I just really thought it was fantastic. Uh, Robbie, what did you think? Yeah, it's great. I watched it again this morning. It was awesome. I was just like blown away by the the, the similar sort of visual construction of it. Especially, was really impressive. I thought, but we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, we definitely will. Have you been watching anything recently? I know you're working right now, but have you boys been watching anything that's inspired you at the moment? Something you'd recommend? on your travels right now. You're watching Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. And if for anyone that doesn't know what it is, it's uh, Ham- Hamilton Morris, who's Errol Morris's son, uh, is making a documentary series about the chemistry and often um, anthropological origins of psychoactive drugs. 
uh, which obviously is super appropriate to Synchronic. But uh, he just released a third season, and it's one of the most interesting things in the world where he travels around trying to just find these really niche uh, takes on psychoactive drugs, often ones you've never even heard of before. Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I've just finished Shit's Creek. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Shit's Creek as well. It's great. Yeah. It's so good, isn't it? I mean, wow. You mean just think, oh, I won't like this. Everyone kept saying, you'll love this. You really should watch it. And then I was like, all right, fine, I'll watch it. And just fell in love with the characters and everything. It was really cool, really well done. A really enjoyable show. Robbie, anything you've been watching recently that's uh, stood out for you? I've been watching uh, a lot of Kiyoshi Kurosawa films. He's like a Japanese director who's... Um, not related to Akira Kurosawa, but uh, he does lots of kind of mixture of genre and art house. He did a film called The Cure, which is about like, you think it's a serial killer film and then it turns into something else. It's like, you know, psychological and transcendent towards the end. So yeah, recommend, recommend his work. I feel really bad for him. I mean, imagine being born with the last name Spielberg or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd be gutted, wouldn't you? It'd always, always play on you. I think if you've got a name, that relates to someone in that business or your name is Taylor Roofer, you tend to do that kind of a job. Do you know what I mean? Or if you're, you've got Errol Flynn is your name, you're going to sort of move down into the theatrical world a little bit, right? I think that happens quite a lot. Well, Steven Soderbergh probably was just like, all right, I think I can do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so close. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I do think names do make a difference on what career you do. Um, I do think it slightly affects it in some way. Maybe I'm wrong. It's turning into a very kind of fate versus free will discussion quite early on, isn't it, Jars? It's quite, quite serious. It's quite serious, but I think that's, that sort of ties us into Synchronic as well. I think that's really interesting, the fact that where you are in the world takes you back to that place, you know, in the, the time travel element of Synchronic. And I, yeah, I just thought it was really fascinating that. And I just wanted to touch on anything that could, could inspire and, um, and take us through that journey. But yeah, you boys have been doing this, you know, for a while you guys have been making movies and I think I think that's really interesting for our listeners. I think they'd love to know sort of how you built up your amazing ability to create tension and to create humour and pathos within your camera work. And I think that's really fascinating. So maybe we'll talk about how you first got into this, how you two met, why you became filmmakers, actors, you know, in that sense as well, putting yourself in, in movies for a bit and then, you know, creating this wonderful movie that is synchronic. How did you start? Uh, we met as interns about, uh, about 10 years ago and then just started working together more and more on small, very, very, very small commercials, music videos. And then we made our first movie resolution eventually. A lot of times I think, I think even we were thinking that we were going to make one independent film that was very small and then someone would come along and, and it would be different. It would be like financiers and these people that are going to help you make your next movie and you're just do this one scrappy thing that you're just going to go do. But it more ends up being like, you're going to do like five. Well, we're still doing it. We're still yeah. doing like little scrappy movies. And, and the, the, I guess the reason I said is like, oh, how do you do it? It's like, oh, you just keep going out and doing it even if you don't have the resources you were expecting. You just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And then you, you develop your style through that and you develop your methods through that as opposed to waiting someone to come along with the money or an organization to come along with it or whatever resources you think you need that the person you need to work with or to just hand you a good script and say, Oh, I'd like you to direct this. It's yeah. like, no, they don't hand the good scripts to you. They hand that to Steven Soderbergh, but, but you know what I mean? Like they hand that to established directors 
Uh, and that's even not true, by the way. That's the, the, the myth of the upper echelon, good script doesn't exist. We did have opportunities to direct things that weren't ours at, right after resolution, but it would have been the last thing we direct. It would have been horrible. Like that, it's all the bad stuff gets sent to the, the, the new indie directors. So you just gotta like keep your head down and go make another like you movie. That's fascinating. So that happened, because I think that's really interesting. A lot of our filmmakers do think you're gonna go make a movie, it does become a hit or in terms of you've just made it and it gets out there and people see it. People do think that people are gonna knock on the door and go, hey, you must direct my script, you know? And well, screenwriters might be sending that, but money people and studios aren't because they're trying to get the Steven Soderbergh's or the, you know, anyone else in that league. And we're kind of scratching around and you do have to find your own projects and you do have to push hard to get them made anyway, even if you have had a hit. What did you find then after Resolution? Did, did you find that, work like you mentioned there you had to find it yourself you still had to create and then you know make spring before the endless and stuff was was that your your journey well, finding the good projects i guess you're yeah. saying like you were getting you were maybe getting offered stuff but learning to say how to say no to all of that and oh we didn't have to learn a anybody in the world would read these and be like no do not make these you just get sent a bunch of bad scripts and probably without financing so it still would be a, a difficult thing to get made but i guess some filmmakers might feel pressured to make those scripts if they're being asked by a big studio to do it or like you know leaned on a certain way yeah i don't know it's well it's weird too because we we haven't had many straight up like this is an offer yeah you, you know just here's the here's pressure it's, more, it's, it's more like not from a studio it's from like a small production company or something yeah. someone you've known or met along the way yeah and it's, so it's more like hey you're interested we'd like to talk to you and what comes along with that is also you have to realize it's like if you are interested you have a lot of work ahead of you to still convince them that that, that you could do it they have more work still to cast it and get financing all it is normally it's just a script it's just someone's script that that one production company which could be owned by anyone we have a production company just us clowns you know anyone can have a production company but if you if you put all of those working waking hours you would have put convincing them that you could do their script and you put it into your own stuff you can go make your own stuff with, with very very little money very little resources and 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 have it be something that's tailor-made to you and uh ultimately probably more gratifying than working on something that was originally someone else's but yeah and we've, we've done that five, like five movies in now and, you know, Synchronic is like, yeah, you know, we had a little more money, but it's still a very, very low budget film. And it's still ours. Technically, it's a much smaller movie than Spring, the movie that preceded it. And we've done projects after Synchronic that are much, much smaller. Things haven't changed a whole lot since after Resolution to after Synchronic yeah. in terms of what's what, what are the avenues out there we can take for the next project. I see what you mean. So you're still finding it yourself. Uh, and this is good for our listeners to know you're still you're the person got to find those projects. You've either got to write it or get it together or find the right people to make it with you. You've still got to push constantly, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's this wonderful, it's one of the best, best, uh, most inspiring and also just accurate things I've ever seen, which is Mark Duplass's 2015 South by Southwest keynote um, speech, which is called, uh, he calls it the Cavalry's and Coming speech because he's given it a few times. He wrote it in, in his book with his brother, uh, like brothers. It, it's basically... Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to just go and make a, a movie with your friends for a couple of toothpicks and, and a safety pin and, you know, a, a borrowed camera. 
and then after you make that, you're just going to make a whole bunch more and your budget's going to be like $10 or $15 or $100, you know, and you just keep on making them until you're actually kind of good at it, you know, as opposed to making your first one and then, and then sending it to film festivals and finding if you're finding out if you're good by validation of others. And then, you know, you just keep going and going and going. And then you make your first feature in that same way. Your budget is a thousand dollars and you, you know, you borrow stuff from Home Depot and return it and stuff. That's borrow quote, but you know, that that's the idea. And then that's when people start to pay attention, but it's all bad. So you have to go make another one like that. And then another one like that. And you don't have to do it that way because at a certain point, what, what looks like the cavalry shows up, they're like, all right, do you want to do this movie? You can. And that's kind of like the, the point where you have to make a choice because unless what they're offering is just that good, you got to just say no and go make another one like that. Um, and, uh, and the point is at the end of it, I'm going to spoil his wonderful 20 minute spiel, which is just so well constructed because it's very practical advice. It's not like find your voice. Like it doesn't, it doesn't use like vague advice. It's like really like, here's what to do tomorrow. Here's what to do a month from now. Here's what to do a year from now specifically. But basically what he says is at a certain point, you're going to look behind you and you're going to realize you have a body of work and the ability to get movies made and to survive off of it. And you are now the cavalry and you can actually like make your, your friends films make, you can make your friends films exist. And, uh, and that's the, that's the thing that has worked out for us. It's, it, it's never exactly the same thing. Obviously, you know, Synchronic was not financed out of our bank account, you know, <laughs> like, um, uh, you know, we're working on shows that uh, TV shows that are not our own, that kind of a thing, but the general philosophy and the actual practical steps stay the same. Amazing. By the way, are you are you by a hangar? Are you like by an airport? This is the first day this has ever happened. For some reason, there's low, no, low yeah, flying, flying planes. planes. Yeah. No idea why. Yeah, there's, there's just like, I guess, searching for the missing person. I don't know. Like, I don't know, but that's kind of amazing. It's just like we put it on in post. It's because it's snowing here. That's cool. That's like beautiful and also not terrifying at all due to climate change. So. Absolutely. I know. I thought that. I thought London. Hmm, why is it snowing? Normally, there's so much smog and trucks and stuff. And then this morning, I woke up and there it was beautiful. And I took my dog out and had a brilliant play. It was amazing. So much fun. Yeah, I think they're strafing the uh, the trenches over on the outskirts of Pittsburgh. So. Yeah, it's probably that. Or looking for a dead body. One of the two. So great. And you were talking there about yeah, how sometimes it's not your money. How do you find like you've let's say you've you've written the script, uh, which I suppose uh, between you though, Justin, you're more of the certainly with Synchronic, you're credited as the, the writer on that one. Though I imagine you work together in terms of developing story as always with these type of things when you're both directing it, both producing it. And you, you seem to take it in terms to uh, do the cinematography as well, which is really interesting, your projects. Once you've got your script, you're saying, cool, this is what we're going to do. How do you find the money? How do you, is it people you've known? How do you get the investment to move forward in your world? It's a really fun answer, actually. Uh, with Resolution, it was just money saved up from just odd jobs, working in restaurants, working as a production assistant, things like that. With Spring, it was a loan from a family member. And we really tried on that one to find uh, more traditional financing. We, we went to the Cannes Film Festival and rode around on, on bikes from meeting to meeting in these like really really cheap H&M suits that were falling apart. Trying like, to look like businessmen. Like, like little children like dressed up as businessmen. Like, would you like it, to invest in was, my independent film? And it was like the year that kept raining and we couldn't afford to stay. Like, Oh man, this this sounds like a film in itself. It's great. <laughs> but we struck out on that. We, we could not find money to make uh, Spring. So uh, luckily a family member stepped in and, and, and invested in the movie. And then The Endless was basically constructed so that we could self-finance it in the way we did resolution. But uh, 
someone on Reddit sent me a direct message saying, Hey, I'm a big fan of your movies. I'd like to invest. So they made a small investment into wow. the endless and that's how we got it financed. Actually on the uh, horror subreddit, it's one of my favorite subreddits and it's just cool that that directly made the endless exist. That's really cool. I love that. Uh, Synchronic was a more traditional independent film uh, financing avenue. And then we did a, we've done a project after Synchronic. It's partially self-financed again. And then, um, and then some of it, it oddly enough, as a, uh, as, a, as a grant from a company, um, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. But yeah, it's, it's kind of different every time. Even, and I guess now that I say it out loud, even five movies in, we've had one that had the traditional independent financing route. Oh, and actually it's um, worth mentioning that this was after The Endless. The Endless was pretty successful, you know, financially and critically. Indeed. And I will still tell you that getting financing for Synchronic was a massive challenge. We did not have tons of options. We did not at all. Uh, very, very few. Uh, a lot of people passed. Like just saying it never gets easier and that's okay. That's just the game. Yeah, but but Chronic is was a, a, just a breath away from having no financing. If we were, for example, if, uh, from a country that had basically sort of government funds or soft money financing, I wonder if we would be one of those people yeah. that, that were able to access that. Uh, something that was interesting is we have this company called XYZ that connected with us right after Resolution got into Ibeka. They are our sales company and they, they kind of, for, for a commission, you know, arrange for buyers and distributors to come to screenings and they basically negotiate the sale. Mm -hmm. um, and they've sold all of our movies. Something that's just interesting to know when you say, oh, the traditional financing route, they were also the people who brokered and, and found the financing for Synchronic. So in that way, they are also executive producers. So that you know, like, how did that happen? That's how that happened. XYZ sold Resolution, sold Spring, sold The Endless, and then helped find financing and arranged those meetings and, you know, for Synchronic. Amazing. That's really cool. And it does show, you know, you do good work and you do write amazingly well and you present that. People do take that seriously. But for everyone listening, it doesn't, doors aren't suddenly going to fly open you know you've still got to knock on those doors like you guys were doing and you're probably turning up at all the festivals and the events and speaking to xyz all the time and saying look here's that next project can we get this done and you need your champions and you guys seem like really cool guys and i imagine they're going look they're making great films and they're really nice let's let's work with them um do you find that relationships in the film business is is really important you know, in terms of getting on with people and not letting people take the piss as well. It's that fine balance. Yeah. I mean, in exactly the way you put it, it I guess when sometimes yeah. when you say the phrase relationships are important in the film business, sometimes what people are referring to is like, hey, do you know people with more power than you have or people that can open up doors for you and things like that? Be related to someone. Yeah. have never found that to be helpful in almost any, any way. Almost um, exclusively gross and weird and not yeah. helpful. <laughs> uh, but we have a great relationship with our camera operator, Will, and we yeah. have a great relationship with our editor, Mike, and, and a great relationship with our production designer, Ariel, and our great, and, a great, and, our, and our producer, Dave. And all these XYZ. And XYZ. XYZ are friends. Yeah, all these people that are more lateral to us than, than, than above. Is that sort of horizontal networking, which is sort of really more important? Yeah, it's, it's really funny. I remember the things that I was jealous of right when I moved out from film school in Florida to Los Angeles, you know, when people just like have a meeting with a producer or, you know, they got this thing financed or they won a competition or something like that. 
And now I think about it and it's like, yeah, sometimes there's like little bumps of, uh, what would you call it? Not, I wish it, I wish this visual weren't a, a ladder because it's not really a ladder, but it's more like an ocean rising, you know? But there's little bumps that happen, but everybody's just trading places all the time, you know? There was a time where spring was more successful uh, than medicine for melancholy. And then Barry Jenkins made Moonlight, you know? So it's like, it was like this thing where it's like, and that's a ridiculous thing to think about. It's this idea of like, ah, man, I wish I had it. It's more like, no, 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 look to your left, look to your right. Those are the people. It's not up. It's not up. It's the people around. It's the people you are going to the potluck with, you know? It is not the meeting that you're having in, in on Wilshire Boulevard, you know? Yes. I love that advice. That's really cool. It Also, it translates to almost any set you're on, too, in terms of like, if you look at a call sheet or set, there will be executive producers that you've never met before. They'll never come to set. They don't need to, they were part of a different part of the business deal. It is way more important that the production assistants, the script supervisor, the gaffer, all these people, it's way more important that you have a good relationship with them and a good report with them than it is this person at the top of the call sheet who you've never, you've never met because yeah. it's part of the business that you, you had nothing to do with. Now you're there to direct the, the film and you need a good relationship with all these people that you're working with next to you. There's also people that thrive on chaos. Um, and I just, I don't know how they operate to be really honest. Uh, we, we thrive on uh, peace and calm and harmony. And obviously there are ways to continue those emotions and those feelings and those um, mor- bits of morale while still getting your vision. You know, you don't have to just compromise on anything really. You can, you can just find the solution without it being contentious and chaotic. We've been very fortunate that we've been able to kind of foster that on our sets, even the ones that we're not in full control of, like TV shows. And honestly, sometimes that's just luck of the draw, you know, like sometimes you're paired with someone. But, you know, I mean, spring was just like a bunch of friends living in a cool little town in Italy, you know, the endless was summer camp for adults. Uh, it was it was great. Synchronic, we all got to live in New Orleans. How can you not, not, not love that? Absolutely. I love the visuals of it. It was gorgeous. And everybody was hanging out with each other after set or on the weekends. And it's not it's not this thing where it's just like, all right, keep your head down, do the job, get off work. And if it becomes that look, I mean, it's going to happen someday. You know, I mean, these things happen. You just pair, you get, you pair up with the wrong person every once in a while. It's okay. Yeah, it is. But as long as you get through it, right. And you get to the other side. So you're, you're basically saying you not that you go to LA less, but I imagine you were going there at the beginning after spring and you know, you, uh, the resolution, you were going to those meetings in LA now, I suppose, is it less of that? Is it much more of, look, we don't need, obviously right now, we can't travel anywhere anyway, but it, it, you know, before COVID, was it a case of, well, look, we're, we're all right. Or, you know, had you gone through that whole cycle of the LA meeting to a meeting, we've got you another meeting, you know, just endless nothingness at the end of it, like Mark Duplass does say. We've had phases where we do go from general meeting to general meeting to general meeting. And um, we, we do it less, but obviously now during COVID, no, now, now it's all Zoom. <laughs> so easy. Zoom, yeah. Zoom easy now. I'll, I'll, do a Zoom. I'll take a Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah. uh, Actually, you know what? We had a cool strategy uh, that, that, that um, it, hasn't, it hasn't completely like panned out into a movie yet, but it will. Um, we told, we, so we ended up getting representation, I believe right after spring and, uh, and you know, they can do anything for you. They're, they're wonderful where they can try to set up your movie and to limited success sometimes. And, and, uh, they can try, they can set you up on these general meetings, but there's something that nobody takes advantage of. If you're at a major agency, 
all agencies want to do is to get your movie made with all of the people that are also at that agency. So he said, set us up on just meetings that mean nothing with all of your actors. And so we just, we just have, you know, coffee with, with actors that were just willing to meet with us. It was never people that could finance a movie, which is fine. That's, you know, we're not meeting people for financial gain here, but there's always a world where it's like, one is like, oh, we have a perfect role for them. And, 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 and then there's the other world where we have a meeting with that person that when we met them, they couldn't finance a movie and then suddenly they can, you know? And, yes. and so that's one really good use of it. And that's actually going back to Mark Duplass's idea where he, I think he calls him like Ronnie Hercules or something like that, where he's like, like it's just an actor that can kind of finance a movie, you know? Um, but also like you see who you click with, you, you, you imagine when you're writing, you imagine roles for them and all of that. And it kind of like pe- helps piece the filmmaking process together more than like, you know, a general meeting where someone says, I like your movies. And you say, I like your office, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and by the way, no one takes advantage of that. Like we just, we came up with it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's really clever. And um, because it's true, those people on the way up, the actors, you never know where they're going to go, but it's all about who you click with and connect with because it's very rare that anyone can really finance a movie, especially in the worlds we're playing in the independent world, unless you've got Brad Pitt, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio in your movie, the rest of them might be able to finance it, but not really, you know, so everyone else is just a brilliant actor to have in. So you, it's great you're forging those relationships. And I think that's, that's vital. People get hung up on it a lot, especially in the UK. It's like, oh, we've got to get that name in, get this name in. Like, but you know, as well as I do, that they're not going to either do it or they're not big enough to sell the movie around the world. So surely we just get the best people for the parts. And because it's a great project and a great script, let's make it that way, right? Spoken, yeah, like a true filmmaker. Like a true Mark Duplass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you're, you're right. The truth is there really is only, I mean, it is a very, very small number of people who who actually make the numbers pencil out in terms of like, it's very small. And it's, and those people are booked out for years. So it's kind of hilarious. (laughs) Like Justin, I've had these saddest discussions being like, okay, I mean, he is, he's an amazing actor and we would love to work with him, but really, are we going to submit our $2 million movie to Brad Pitt right now? And by the way, if he said yes, it would be a joy, you know, (laughs) but also like, really this is how we're gonna get our movie made this is the plot this is the path (laughs) exactly because imagine if he did say yes and also that would change everything as well because suddenly now he'd need it's not his fault but his agents and managers would suddenly pile in and the budget would just go through the roof generally but it would all be spent on the gubbins around that and who's buying it and rather than the film right it you wouldn't get any more to make it gosh put it this way what if you were the you're, you're 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 the manager and uh, an agent and business manager and all the people of, of Keanu Reeves, for example, right? Yeah, good choice. And then you all meet up for dinner and you're like, so what happened today was, was that Keanu, someone sent Keanu this script that has a budget of $1 million. Keanu has a lot of money and he's very passionate about the script. So he's going to pass up the project that was going to pay him $30 million. And they're like, it will cost us $5,000 to have those people killed. Like seriously, you're fucking, you're messing with the money. Like you are, you are preventing them from millions of dollars. Yeah. If they were to be like, I love this. The person who manages Keanu is just like, is just like my wife is about to have a child. Keanu, you cannot do that. Like, all right. Do you understand? But, and by the way, that has nothing to do with the actor. A lot of times there's ways that it just like, it just doesn't even get to the actor in that way. And it's okay, by the way. 
this is, it's not like something to hate on. It's just the game. You got to like figure out the game and, and figuring out the game is not taking these ridiculous long shots. Actually, here's a great example that goes all the way back to Synchronic. Do you know how we got, you know, it's funny, we're talking about these mega stars as if we could never touch them. And then we have Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan uh, in our in our film. Here's how that happened. Um, we made The Endless, which actually, let me back up even further. Uh, and so we made, we, we were, we made Spring and then we, we were like, we need to make a larger movie. Like, like it's time, like one, two, and then three, you step up, right? And we were just kind of struggling with it. And we decided, you know what, while we're trying to make that bigger movie, which by the way, we, it wasn't just ideas. Like we had plans in motion, like scripts exist, big movies. And we're just like, okay, you know what? Just while we're trying to make those happen because meetings take forever and you submit something and it's six weeks before you hear back and all that, we can make a whole movie in between that. So we thought we'd like sneak a movie in which turned out to be The Endless. And because we made The Endless, uh, late one night in a North Hollywood theater of its, of its, uh, uh, of its release, what happened? Uh, there was an agent named Houston Costa at UTA who just liked the poster and wanted to go see the movie. And then he just really connected with it. Just really loved the film. And he sent us an email saying, hey, I'm sure you get messages like this all the time. But he's like, I'm, I'm legit. Like, I'm, a, I'm an agent here. I really just want to help you guys get your next thing made. I, I love your movie. And, uh, and he is the one who basically, uh, he got Jamie Dornan on board and, uh, and, and really facilitated over there getting uh, Anthony interested and getting the script in Anthony's hands. And Synchronic wouldn't exist without Houston Costa seeing the poster uh, seeing the poster it. of the endless in North Hollywood and just going to go check it out for like that tiny movie that we thought was the gamble, like the, the thing that just keeps us busy during while we're trying to make the bigger thing. It was like, no, no, you just got to do the work. You do the work. And then that is the perfect example of the, the formula of luck is opportunity meets preparedness, you know, yeah. where it's like, yeah, yeah. look, you can't depend on something like Houston wandering in, but, but if we hadn't just made the endless after making spring after making resolution that opportunity couldn't have existed you know like that that so that luck which is luck but but it would have been something else or maybe nothing you know and we would have had to make a fourth fourth movie just like the endless until something kind of wild like that happened but what it wasn't is making one movie and then submitting our script directly to Jamie Dornan do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't that. It was this other thing. That's incredible. And quote your own movie, um, random events, chance and luck. That's what he says in the movie, right? And that's kind of what you said just now, which is so cool. Really cool. Um, I, 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 th I think it's so true. You know, it's all about who you meet along the way, how your career. Don't expect a door over there to open. Just keep doing what you're doing and it things will happen because you're filmmakers and you're making things incredible. H had you always um, planned to, you know, to make this kind of a high end, really intricate, deep, dark sci-fi, you know, with Synchronic, was that, was, was your other movie kind of like that as well? Cause a lot of your movies do go down that route. Was, was that kind of your vibe is like the horror sci-fi angle was, was Synchronic was that let's go there. This is what we want to do. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because I think since our first movie, the way they've been described has been uh, the term genre bending. And it's always been a, an interesting thing to, to internalize what that means uh, for us as the filmmakers of these things. Like what exactly does that mean and why people are saying them? And it's weird because when you, when you make movies so far out kind of outside the system and outside of a uh, little bit outside of more outside commercial concerns than you usually do for such like a, like a, 
a populist form of entertainment. We just don't talk that much about specifically what genre it is. Now that said, well, we start with an idea that is no doubt science fiction. And then, but then we're like, okay, but how do we make this thrilling? And oftentimes it's, okay, uh, how do we, a sense of unease, a sense of dread. Uh, another synonym for that is scary. So then you end up with like, okay, well, what's, what genre is scary? Well, that's horror. Okay, so now we've got sci-fi, we've got horror, and then our, our other instinct is to focus on characters, and then you've got drama, and thus you've got this, this, this thing, the genre bending. When we're working on them and when we're discussing it before the script is even written and when we're developing the script and when we're shooting and when we're choosing shots and doing all of these things, we are trying to scare people. We are trying to make people cry. We are trying to express uh, a science fiction idea that we just found that blew our hair back at some point and we found really interesting. We're trying to do all those things. Um, we're just not often expressing it in terms of the specific genre. The uh, the thing that we realized after we started getting called genre bending a lot is that uh, genre is it's descriptive instead of prescriptive. Like you don't you don't say okay I in order to make a horror film I need to fit things into this box. What it needs to be uh, at least creatively is make the film and then let the marketing department describe it. You can make it a prescriptive thing where you say, all right, if I want it to be more horror, I need to do these things more. Mm. It's possible. It's just, and, and by the way, that's resulted in some really great movies. It just doesn't really work for us because it ends up forcing you into conventions that didn't come logically or emotionally as per what you were trying to do in the first place. But there's always a world where you just think like, no, I want this to be scarier. How do I do that? And sometimes you can just do that by playing with horror conventions, truly. Uh, and sometimes you do it by thinking about um, how do you make them care about the character more? Because if you really care about the characters, then them just tripping over a rock and hitting their nose will freak you out, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. And, and people often try and put you in a box, especially agents of managers, like, no, but you've made a horror or a sci-fi. You do need to make another one. And it's quite interesting having those conversations now with agents and managers, and they are saying well because i've done genre i've jumped genre quite a lot and they're kind of well that's okay you know but you can hear them they'd prefer it if you were just the horror guy or the sci-fi guy or the historical action guy because it's easy for them to sell you again like the keanu reeves thing it's much easier to go keanu you're not doing that you know put you in a box this is how much you're getting paid per film you're not going to go off and do that because we won't be able to eat next week they will but you know what i mean and i think as filmmakers, that's difficult and it's hard to do that. And I, I'm, I'm proud of you guys for sticking to going, no, no, we're, we're going to do what we want to do. And you guys can put it in whatever box you want later. Yeah. To, to be fair to our own representation, they've never actually pushed us towards anything in particular. What they what they have done, though, um, and with which is actually not a fault, but when they're fencing scripts that get submitted to them, a lot of the times that people, uh, what they submit is something like, as you say, we made, we made, when all we had was resolution, we were getting every cabin in the woods haunted house thing in the world. Whereas like, I barely even thought of that as like a haunted house movie exactly. Now I kind of do, but when we were making it, I was like, it's a drama with this bizarre other thing going on that it's also horrifying, you know? But it's, but I guess what I mean is, is to our agents and managers credit, they've never pushed us on anything. Um, they've just tried to get our movies made. And then they have submitted us the what they think are the right scripts, but they've never said you should really do this, you know. That's really good. Yeah, that's really nice. And the fact is you write your own stuff as well, you know, is is a really, I think, a really important and special thing. Do you come up with quite a lot of ideas? Do you put them down in a book? How do you create your ideas? How do you 
then start turning them into scripts? Well, one thing that's kind of interesting in terms of how many ideas we come up with, probably something like five to 10% of what we work on makes it out into the world that, that people see. There's so much that just doesn't make it past the development process. We've had se- several TV shows that got to the point of like a pilot script and, and didn't go and, and lots of unmade feature, independent feature scripts. But generally the way it just goes is they'll just be in a concept, a premise that we were both passionate about. We'll talk a whole lot about it, get out a first draft of the script. And then, and then from that point on, it's pretty much like draft mostly between uh, Aaron and I, but we'll also oftentimes like Send it to 10 people, get feedback on especially things like clarity and are the, the, the ideas that you are trying to get across with those punching through to other people. How high is the comprehension and all of that? Uh, our producer, Dave, also is involved in the, the development of them. Yeah, Dave Lawson, who runs the old production company, Rustic Films, right? Yeah, yeah. you guys yeah, should yeah. bring him on, actually. He's great. <clears throat> oh, great. Yeah, we will. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that's that. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. And we've... I think Synchronic is probably the only thing we have that had any amount of input from anyone else outside our small company, but not not very much. And then we have a lot of the stuff that had input we've built other places just hasn't, just unfortunately didn't didn't quite happen. We have two, probably have a, we have a movie and a TV show about Aleister Crowley that was developed at two different places, basically. And uh, that's like our white world. That's like something was like, oh man, we... We've worked, we've, de- we've developed that so much in so many different forms. We've got a graphic novel, we've got a documentary, <laughs> we've got a feature film. We've got several different versions of a feature film. We've got a TV show. Uh, I think we just need to start like inscribing it on bars of soap. Like it's got to exist in some form of media somewhere. You can just sell it on eBay. Yeah, even that. And when you've got your scripts, as in, or you've got the idea down, you've discussed it, how do you sit and write it? And do you sort of delegate that kind of feature of who's going to be the writer like uh, first, or does that sort of happen as part of the process? Well, the, the, the first one, it's funny, try to do it differently, somewhat differently each time in, in terms of just like, again, there, there's a lot of content that gets created. And if it was the same way every time, it would be a little bit more of a grind. So it's like, oh, it's and I And it's funny, this is going to get really boring. It's like, oh, Sometimes, sometimes don't, sometimes just discuss it and don't use a treatment or outline. Other times use a treatment. Sometimes use an outline. Sometimes write it as a short story first. Just doing different things to use one's brain differently. So it just feels like you're not like clocking in and clocking out every time. Because again, there's just, when we're not on set, we're just constantly, constantly generating new material. Um, I'm just, yeah, just trying to do it a little bit differently differently each time i mean i guess i guess there's the 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 thing that we're working on right now was definitely we we talked about it the most i think of anything we've ever worked on you know where where we were working it out to like 30 40 page thing before it became a script and uh but also that one we didn't send it to anyone anyone no one has any idea what we just made um except for our producer dave so uh because he was the third crew member and we made a three-person movie so that's so cool yeah so like but no like we just have like this film that no one has any idea (laughs) oh congratulations that's so cool yeah i think it's great to be creative and you know whenever you can um and i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what you're doing because you know whatever you're doing at the moment is just fantastic 
I love how you've created, and it sounds like a really f- like exciting bubble to be in when you're all bouncing ideas off and sat there. I love it when that happens. You're in a room with people, and it's like, bam, bam, how about this? How about that? And you suddenly create something like, like that. It's wonderful. Well, are you the same on set then? Are you the same with the camera moves and the planning of that, you know, in terms of you, have you got all your shots done, but then when you're on set, especially the one you've just done with a very small amount of people, are you kind of creating on the spot? How'd you work? No, actually. Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's very, our sets are, when I said they're really, really smooth. Um, one of the reasons is, is uh, all of that stuff happens in prep. It happens at the shot list phase, happens in the rehearsal phase. Um, we rehearse as much as we can possibly get. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes we can't get it. Uh, but that, but like, like synchronic, you know, where it's like, it's really hard to convince anyone to bring Anthony and Jamie for two weeks just to rehearse on something. They would have done it. It's just, it's a scheduling issue, you know, but, um, but, uh, but no, we like to create our films almost completely in pre-production so that when we're on set, we're executing an extremely intricate plan. Um, however, what we find is that doesn't mean that it's rigid. That means that if anything magical happens, we can embrace it. Well, because we, we have this thing to fall back to at any time, you know, we, we have like a, we have a very huge, we're not waiting for inspiration to strike us. We are, we're there. We have the, the inspiration struck weeks ago, you know, and we are, uh, we're trying to execute that. And then if something amazing happens, we can embrace it quickly because there's already so much other structure underneath it. You know, it won't be this thing that accidentally is this piece of yarn that uns- unspools the whole sweater. Also something we've realized uh, getting on with more and more projects over the last decade is that um, on the really small ones, you can kind of get some form of everything on your shot list. Like, yeah, even if it's like a little simpler than what you were hoping, you'll kind of get everything and you'll, and, and, uh, and you just like start burning through at certain times of the, the day. You need an insert? Give me the camera. Give, give, all, right, all right, grab, just, just grab the thing. All right, got it. And yep, I, I rolled the camera myself. Yep, all right, cool. All right, all right we got it. You know? On much, on much bigger projects when, you know, things just, it's much harder to turn that ship. You, you find yourself like you really come to terms with what's most important on that shot list because you are just, you just have less, there's less time. You can't just grab that camera. That'll be a, a that'll be a union problem. <laughs> and amongst many other things, throw the set into chaos. Yeah. Uh, my my but, genuine preference and, and something that, I, that I've been trying to like work out and, and we should, we should talk about this and see if we can do it. But is on these large projects that I can keep one of those black magic cameras slung around my shoulder. Like, and, and just, if there's an insert we need, I'm just empowered to just go grab it. That would just be unbelievable. And with a zoom let long on my shoulder and nobody can stop me. I just, I rolled it. I love that. And it's so true because it's on the bigger movies. It's really difficult to do because as soon as you touch that red button and it go, people freak the fuck out. We, we've decided we're just like, like, just don't cut the camera. <laughs> don't cut the camera. Just keep going because, because once you cut, people lose their mind and the set explodes. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, isn't it weird? Yeah, no, I'm the same. I don't cut a lot of the time. I'll just be like, yeah, let's go get that, go get that, get that. Because you know it's going to cause so many problems as soon as you say cut or whichever, or turn over, whichever the one. But I like that idea of just having a black magic over your shoulder. Just, yeah, I'm just going to get this. Like like you're doing a behind the scenes type thing. No one will know in the edit. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, it's because uh, you obviously shot the film, uh, Aaron. So like how how does that work with you know in terms of you're you're not necessarily self-operating all the time you're having to delegate that but obviously synchronic is a film that looks amazing so how do you sort of approach that from a technical angle and like really try and punch above like as much of a a, you know 
a level as you're at in terms of the budget. It goes back to what we were just saying about prep. Justin and I make a lot of those decisions in, in shot listing and prep and all of that. And uh, you know, lighting ideas are part of our shot list where we, we just, and, and so how to execute that lighting turns into, it, it's less intricate than you'd think. And we have an operator, Will Sampson, who uh, has worked with us on almost every movie. And um, he just kind of gets us. He's like this cowboy that just kind of understands that it's like, just roll the camera, just get it. You know, like he really gets it. But like when it comes to lighting and stuff, I just have to find gaffers that I get along with that kind of instinctually understand what I'm after. Because I, I'll be honest, I don't know the intricacies. Of, I, like if I was, if I was gaffing a movie myself, there would be a, an electrical fire. Um, it is, uh, it, now that doesn't mean that I say, hey, light the scene dark. I mean, I do still say, put the light there. It is this kind of light. Is this kind of diffusion? Is this color? Like, I'm, it's very specific. But then after that, where it's like, how do you run the cables and and how do you manage the power? I don't deal with that. Frankly, the answer is working with Will Sampson and working with. Uh, a wonderful gaffer uh, that's normally local to wherever we're shooting. And um, that pressure, it's less time consuming than you'd think. And there's still plenty of time to direct. You give them their marching orders and then they go off and do it. Justin and I do our thing. I tweak a little bit here and there. Um, the one thing I guess I really miss is operating myself. Will is way more talented than me, but I do just kind of miss being three feet in front of the actor with the camera and just just getting exactly what we we're doing. I'll probably still do it, especially if we shoot on film or something like that. But the problem is, is genuinely, there's just this heavy thing on my shoulder and it kind of makes a lot of noise when it's not rolling. It just adds this whole extra level to trying to direct, you know, where it's just like, it's heavy and it's loud. And it just kind of like distracts you on top of the things that you have to do as an operator, as a cinematographer. And then that's before we get to talking about directing because I've operated a couple of times and especially on the smaller stuff. And it, I found suddenly I couldn't direct as well. or couldn't speak to it. Suddenly I was so concentrating on the shot that when they said, Oh, cool. Well, let's talk about it. I was like, I have no idea what you just did. I have no, I was, I, I thought I got an amazing shot, <laughs> you know, and that wasn't, that's not where I should be. And I guess you guys are sort of in constant communication throughout, like um, in terms of like Justin with the directing and Aaron with the, with the sort of, with the cinematography stuff, how often do you have to find that you have to, talk to each other to make sure you're in sync with the vision of what's going on the screen. It's funny because on a lot of things now, especially since Aaron's not operating, we're literally sitting next to each other. So that's just like a constant communication thing. I, I don't feel like a DP when we're shooting. I feel like I'm just directing and you also direct the lighting. Like it's, that's all. Uh, the other thing too is we, we just did a project where um, we were swapping off operating from shot to shot. And it, it wasn't, there's no breakdown in communication at all. But I, I will say that on the topic of like operating and directing, you speak to people very, very differently when um, when you're drenched in sweat and holding a camera. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, there's something to be said for that, yeah. And then you're really exhausted. Neither one of us is ever unkind on set. It's just, it's very direct. Well, it is, because it's, it's, it's really hard to hold that camera for any length of time. Your arms are killing, you are sweating, and someone some talks to you about something. You're like, well, it's a very different feeling, isn't it, where you've been sat behind a man or talking to actors to suddenly, you know, it's a very can we just get this or whatever it is but yeah like you say you're keeping a, a really friendly atmosphere on set but when it's just you lot yeah it does change everything doesn't it fascinating how do you how do you work with actors then because obviously this time you had Anthony Mackin and, and Jamie Dornan they're both absolutely fantastic in their own rights you know Jamie's been around a while in my world as well especially The Fall which is a big uh, UK show I don't know how much it we costs. love The Fall there you go amazing he's amazing how was 
that working with them, that level of actor for you, did it change anything, uh, you know, bringing them on? How do you work with actors generally? In all of our, all of our movies, except Synchronic, we had, uh, we had a really long time for rehearsals, which are great for getting the performance dialed into basically almost precisely where you want it, but also developing a rapport with the actor where you understand what each individual needs from you when you, when you get to set, what's, what's going to be the best thing for everyone. Um, and that's the preference still, but with Synchronic, we, we didn't have that. And we, we just got really lucky in that instance where uh, Jamie and Anthony are just very really nice guys who didn't make our lives terrible. They were very kind to us. And despite the fact that sets are always places where you just got to give some, you got to give people some, so a little bit of room and a little more than the, the real world of like how how you respond to things and, and all of that and yeah and i mean also too it's funny relationship with actors is always a weird thing too because i think from the outside of movie making and filmmaking people think that there might be some sort of like really romantic or severe trick you can do to get particular performances out of people when really there's very little you can do you just get to know them and figure out what they need from you. And that's it. Yeah. And, and then you can make little adjustments here and there. And hopefully they've done their preparation and then everything's going to be great. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think they're more likely to do their preparation if they sense in you that you've done yours and that you yeah. and that you are putting a lot of work into it. I think usually people will match you with that. Yeah. And also, I think people believe there's a causal connection sometimes between like a tortured artist that is a jerk to everyone, but is also super talented, normally men. Um, and, uh, and, and they, they think there's a causal connection between their, them being a jerk and them being talented and having worked with tons of incredibly talented people, that is so not true. And so because of that, I will, we, we personally have a policy where it's like, if they're, if they're just notoriously tough to work with, I don't really care how good they are. I'm, I'm not going to work with them. I, my life is too short. Uh, our sets are, there's not enough time in the day. Um, for, to have people that are that are true personalities that think that they're, you know, better than anybody else on set. It's I just rather work with someone else. There is somebody that is equally talented that will not make your life uh, shorter. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. It's so important, isn't it? It really is. It's so hard on set as it is. You don't want to have someone who's difficult. So yeah, I, I love that. Um, boys, I could talk to you guys all day. You're fantastic. You're a real inspiration for filmmakers out there. And honestly, Synchronic is a beautiful, gorgeous, fantastic film. I'm, I was going to put it in a genre then, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that, got that sort of Mark Scorsese, like After Hours, Bring Out the Dead, obviously, those kind of gritty Scorsese sort of movies but with that sci-fi element as well it's just really yeah it's a real interesting unique work so well done um i'd love to get you boys on again to talk about the movie you've just made so when that is announced or done or whatever let's talk again i'd love to hear about that It'd be fantastic um but for now thank you very much aaron justin you're superstars thank you thank you thank you very much thanks guys pleasure synchronics out now everyone do go watch it remember you can make it into film you can make it happen um and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well just as justin and aaron have done it's your duty to send the elevator back down robbie thank you very much thank you giles my pleasure see you boys take care all the best <laughs>